0: Welcome to Business Unfiltered, where we dive into the raw and unfiltered world of running a business with Mercer and Jeff Sauer. Grab a seat for this unfiltered journey into the world of entrepreneurship. This
1: is Business Unfiltered. Welcome back to Business Unfiltered. Jeff Sauer here with Mercer. And today we're going to talk about how do you know if your business is profitable? Now, for me, this is all about the different levels of profit, different terms in place, some, some definitions, but also just some common sense ideas around profitability for your business and getting everybody on the same page. So Mercer, I want to have you define the topic uh, of profitability and what it means to you, and then maybe I'll jump in with some of my definition as well.
0: Yeah, it's a good question because I'm thinking about this like, okay, business profitable, like it's a black and white thing. How? Why are we having an entire topic about this? It's either profitable or it's not. It should be pretty basic. But to your point, there's there's net profit, there's gross profit. There's a lot of companies who I think think about their profit as their main KPI. And it's not actually profit. It's more like revenue or users or annual recurring revenue or whatever their sort of key metric is. And they're treating it like that that profit number. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, profit is just a, it's a value exchange. its It's what we as an organization are producing in value in exchange for the value that our customers hold you know which is typically going to be some sort of you know a currency that we're exchanging so buying membership products or services or or anything like that. So that's I'm always sort of measuring it by how much how much is left over in that value equation. So it's going to cost me a certain amount to produce everything, we're going to exchange value with the customer and then whatever is left over after my cost of goods services, that's where I've sort of got that profit left over. That's the part that goes to the investor. That's what I care about the most as that role. Uh, for the investor role. So that's how far I look at. it. It's the number that the
1: investor role cares about the most. Love it. Yeah. The, you, you mentioned a few terms that are, are, are good ones. And I was, I was thinking of some more terms like margin. You know, there's there's terms like tax profit or profit from a tax perspective. There's profit from, you know, what you report on at the end of the year. There's profit, the, the money you take home. There's all kinds of different things to look at. And so, as we unpack this, I think we're going di- to discover a few different strategies and a few different ideas here. So let's let's move over to strategies around profit. So I think that the the overarching strategy that we all think of a profit is that there's more left in the bank at the end of the year than the, that you started the year, right? And, and if there's more money left over, if there's a surplus of income or money uh, available, then that's considered a profit. And then that can be distributed. It can be reinvested in the business, but it's basically your war chest of things you can work with, right? So when it comes to the overarching strategy, I think it's undeniable that it's that you have more left over than when you started with. But I think there's a lot to unpack within there. And there's a lot of different levers you can pull to make sure that that happens. So when it comes to strategy on your end, what do you think about, what are some strategies that you'd put in place around profit?
0: Uh, it's a good question. I think for us, it, and it maybe this topic, the way that I'm wrapping my head around it is more like, what are the different ways to measure profitability, right? Um, kind of your toy like in pre-tax, post-tax. I, for us, it, it comes down to, it, I try to keep it as simple as possible. It's how much money is left over after everything's been spent for that month on a cash basis, right? So we're measuring it sort of cash flow wise um, as opposed to something like if we bill an invoice today then we're going to count that as, as revenue earned today It's like no I'm gonna wait till we get paid for that invoice. that's when I count it right so we, we kind of do cash accounting over here. Um, but for me the the profit that's left over it it, it is very um, uniquely connected to how that happened. So was it profit left over because the investor brought in a bunch of money? and sort of floated the company, and that's why there's still money left over? Because that's not really profit for me. That's like investor cash flow that pre, pre, you know made that happen. Um, was it because of new acquisitions that we were profitable, right? So that's good, it shows that it's growth and that we're providing a product or service to the market. Um, and then how much of that profit came in from the recurring stuff? In other words, how well we're taking care of our customers and getting them to come back and be and rebuild, right? And keep that retention going, which means that we're keeping our our uh, original promise to those customers as well. So I'm kind of looking at like different stages of where the money's coming from, where the revenue obviously is where we're measuring it at that point. And then how much of that is trickling down into profit. That's one of the main strategies that we use. And I think to be honest, I got that from Keith Cunningham um, years ago from either the Road Less Stupid or you know Business Blueprint, one of the books he wrote was similar to that where you talked about like th- just different types of cash that are coming in. And it's, it's important to make sure that you're aware of those um, because just cause you got the money doesn't mean you got it the right way. That's going to be sustainable for growth or stability.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot. And, and that's definitely, I think it's a, it's a giving words to something that may be unspoken for a lot of people's business. And that is, some months you do end up with more money and some months you end up with way less money. Um, and, and it's hard to break down why that's happening. So I call it like the lumpy revenue trap where you might, you know, if you're a service provider, the feast or famine nature is, you might have all your contracts hit that people pay you at the same time. So you'll have a big surplus one month and then the next month you're still busy, you're working on things, but you don't have as much money coming in. And that, that can be really difficult because people want to get paid, on a biweekly basis or the twice a month basis, right? So people, the people who work for you need to get paid and you need to get the money coming in. And unless you have some kind of surplus in the bank over, over extended period of time, you won't be able to afford to pay people. Right. So, so a lot of the times, you know, actually the funny thing is people will stunt the growth of their business because they're afraid of having to make payroll or pay people. Um, But I think the answer is developing some kind of margin or some kind of surplus on every project you sell so you know it will even out over time and and so i think a strategy for me is main the main strategy for profit for me is is margins and that is making sure that any project you sell has profit baked into it and so there's a there's a book called profit first that a lot of people um i I actually don't subscribe to it exactly um but the concept is sound right so the, the concept is that you should make sure that every i call it price for profit every single project you sell, you need to mark up a certain amount so that you are building in profit. My recommended amount is between 200% and 300%. And so if I sell, if I'm, if it costs me $1,000 to do a project, then, I'm, then I would wanna charge $4,000 for it if I can get that amount, right? If I can, um, if I, I would be happy or very happy with 4,000, I'd accept 3,000, but if I'm if it takes me a thousand dollars to do something, I'm not selling it for two thousand dollars. I'm definitely not selling it for one thousand dollars because there's no ability for margin profit error, um, no no rounding errors that that happen if you do it that way. And so a lot of times my strategy to protect and to get to be profitable, similar to you, it's that you before you even sell a project or as you're selling a project, make sure that you create enough of a gap between what it costs you and what you're going to make. So that there's money that there's, you're guaranteed to have money left over at the end of the day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: And I think, I think that is a miss, not, not pre-planning profit kind of as a cost in a way, right? Like, oh, and it's going to cost me X amount in profit for this. And I I need to add that to my pricing. I think that makes a lot of sense. How, how do you, how do you kind of square it? Cause in, in my head I'm thinking, okay, well, if he's pricing everything at two to 300% profit, then obviously your profit margins are also that from a company perspective, and that's what you would see, but that's probably not what you see. So when you look at it from an overall company perspective, where are your margins after everything's taken? I say I get the idea of the individual product, but the, when, after you're paying for team members and you're keeping the lights on and all the, you know, paying for hosting of the servers and everything else, like wh- how do you sort of look at your overall company profit margin? Do you have a, a sort of goal for where people should be from an agency, I guess, perspective?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's two different, I mean, the agency business, which is where I do a lot of my consulting and a lot of my teaching and where I've had a lot of success with my company that we sold is one model. And then there's the, the Jeff's training business and everything like that, which is another model. And they actually have different ways of arriving at a similar idea. So let me, I'm going to be a little bit longer explanation, but I think it's going to make sense. So an agency business, you have to price for profit from the beginning every single time and, and, and really add that margin because every project you sell basically should be, should needs to become profitable, right? So you don't have like as much of a runway because there's not as much investment going into your business. So you need to just make sure that that's your habit right away. And, and you can do that pretty much immediately, right? Even if you have existing clients, you can adjust the conversation to to add in more profitable services and, and to make things work. And so you you had mentioned, like, well, if you're doing, if you're marking it up 300%, or you're getting $4 to the company for every $1 you spend on labor, AKA a 25% labor cost, how can you not just make a ton of money? You know, isn't that all the rest of it dropping to the bottom line? Well, in a financial statement, there's the top line and the bottom line, right? Top line is cost of goods sold. So it's, it's how much money you make minus how much you pay people and your sales commissions or whatever you pay for sales. Now, some people do report this differently. There's, believe it or not, even big companies will put sometimes put commissions on top, sometimes they'll put it below. But you want to have 25% cost of goods sold because that pretty much 25 to 35%, let's say up, up 40% is about as as high as you want to go there. Because then that gives you the ability to drop a lot of things you know you can drop down and then you can pay for your management team that goes under that's that's more towards the bottom line your office expense your computers all your you know your insurance your payroll taxes your benefits all that stuff's on the on underneath the cost of goods sold so some of those soft things that you might provide the benefits you provide and just the running the business piece. So you can't really run a healthy business on the below the cost of goods sold. If you don't have your cost of goods sold in check. And so if you go maybe 25 to 35% cost of goods sold, then you go another 25 to 35% or maybe even more than that. Maybe it's 50% that goes in the management team, replacing yourself as a CEO, replacing yourself as a COO, that type of stuff. Then, that will give you the ability to do that. You, you know If you don't have that healthy top line margin or that markup, then you can't ever work yourself out of the business. You're basically not able to remove yourself and hire other people because there's just not enough money left over. And so even with those two things, you can still end up with a 15, 20% net profit, which is just net after you've paid everybody out, everything out there that's in your bank account if you do it that way. If you're at 50% cost of goods sold and then you have a management team and you have us and you want to replace yourself that you'll actually end up losing money. You'll 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 consistently be paying out more money than you'll be making. So so that's sort of how I try to differentiate these things for that type of business. Now you had asked about another type of business. I don't want to um, we can get to that one a little bit later, but I wanted to see for a service business, does that does that make sense to you? Is that how you approach it as well? Yeah, cuz I think bottom Sort of bottom
0: lining it when somebody's thinking about net profit just from a business net net at the end of the month, what should the accountant be showing me the numbers I've heard are between 10 and 20%. That's kind of where you're penciling out, right? Saying, hey, 15 to 20 is kind of this, you know, sweet spot. It's where you're going to be. You're not going to run an agency at 80% profit, right? That's just not going to happen you know, typically with this particular business model. So that, and I think that's where a lot of the play with numbers is, Is that's the secret sauce of the numbers is making sure that when you measure them one way and they tell a certain story, if you measure them another way, do you also get that same story, right? And that's kind of the, the trick with this. So it's like, if I'm wildly profitable when I'm doing a, uh, to your point around cost of goods sold, which is a little cheaper for an agency a digital product or service than it would be for like health supplements or something like that where you have a physical product to produce but you've got this this lower cost of goods sold that's very high margin at the end of the day when i net net profit i should also see that it net nets out to between you know say 10 to 20% ballpark and as long if those two things are true then i'm doing okay i'm managing my profit on a on the high end perspective not too high because at the end of the day it's trickling down to the 10 to 20 is where i want to be anyway so that says to be like profit would be you know, my, my rates would be profitable You know enough because I'm netting that out. If I think my rates are really profitable, but at the end of the day, I'm netting less than 10%, I probably have room to raise a little bit um, and be able to charge a little bit more because I, that net, net profit's not there. And on the opposite side, if I'm charging so much, that I have so much profit, maybe I do have fifty percent true net net profit margins. Then I've probably got a little flexibility to start reinvesting in the company to pull myself out of it. In other words, I got too much profit, I have to start reinvesting in the organization to grow it, or else it's just not going to sustain itself because I'll burn out one day, maybe, yeah. right? Because maybe yeah. that's why it's so profitable. Because I'm not, I'm not hiring team members, as an example. So
1: yeah, does I that think sort of yeah. recap that thinking. Yeah, for sure, and and I, I agree with you. Is that if you have. 25% left over at the end of the day and you're still working your butt off. That's what we call sweat profit. <laughs> you know, you're you're yeah. you're sweating your way through it. That can eventually lead to burnout and so many other things that reinvesting in your business, you've you've probably heard people say that. I've I've said it myself. Reinvesting in your business means taking that 25% that's left over at the end of the year and reducing that down to five or ten percent, or sometimes even nothing, you know, zero, or even sometimes less than zero, to hire that chief operating officer that you've been thinking about for a long time, that you know you need to have in order to get there. It's it's hiring these other roles, and so yeah, you're basically reinvesting in your business is is taking that money that's left over and in hiring those roles faster, as opposed to waiting to do that. And that is something where that can potentially lead to even more profit and prevent burnout down the road. But it's also super uncomfortable, knowing that you've got to invest all that. And you mean, yes, it's like uncomfortable road knowing road that road. you yeah. went from pocketing fifty grand, but but on but working oh, your butt off. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now not. you're not earning anything, month. Yeah. but you're working. You're not. You're working three days a week, <laughs> which one's yeah. better, you know, um, yeah. th- you know, there's a lot of ways to draw money out of your business. Profit is definitely one of them. There's three ways you get paid, right? There's what you pay yourself as a salary. Mm-hmm. There's profit that drops to the bottom line, less taxes in the US if it's profit versus if it's salary. And then there's when you sell the business, right? Or the, the book value of that business if you sell it at some point. So yeah, you're, you're basically just taking it from one column and you're paying yourself in another column potentially. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like like, you know, how how else are you using the profit number? Cause I think a lot
0: of individuals think about profit like and I used to as well. So I get it, where it's kind of like, okay, you get this thing from your bookkeeper or your accountant once a month that's like your QuickBooks export that says, Okay, here's the bottom line. You have negative six thousand or you had positive six thousand and you sort of go like okay, positive means win. Negative means, okay, maybe maybe next month it'll be better. And you sort of move it on. And that's that's about the equivalent of thought that I think a lot of entrepreneurs give that number. Because it doesn't doesn't feel like it means anything as much from an accountant because it's not your bank account, right? The bank account has all the cash in it. That's what you're working with day to day. And you've got this sort of miscellaneous profit number. One of the things I think we, we um, mentioned, but just to reiterate is, The, I think that's a mistake, right? You know, just to call that out is like, just, it's a mistake to see that number and be like, oh, it's some sort of mental scorecard and you sort of move on and, and that's it. The, the trick to that is, is it the right percentage of profit that it's supposed to be match. In numbers when it, when it came to, to your forecast, is that what you thought your profit was supposed to be? So having that idea of forecasting it out, number one, I think is pretty important because a lot of companies don't. Um, and then saying to your point, okay, is this too much, right? What, what am I going to do if there's too much profit? Well, too much profit means it is time to either rebuild reserves. If I need to do that because I'm, I've got to rebuild my reserves from a previous investment that's being paid back, or I am thinking, okay, I've got room. If reserves are full, maybe I got, you know, let's say six months worth of payroll already in the bank for the team and I'm covered there and the the reserves are packed. Like I don't need the extra money, but I'm still profitable. That says to me, okay, either I've got it all figured out or there is opportunities to grow where I can reinvest some of that. And so I would use it. Like if that percentage gets too high, I see that as a number of like, okay, time to reinvest, expand team, something like that. Right. Put in, put in money into automation or something to, you know, figure out this whole AI thing that everybody's jumping on, right? Like whatever the thing is, it's time for reinvestment. And that's what that percentage tells you. Um, Versus if you are, you know, if you're lower, consistently lower, then let's say that 10% mark, if that's your minimum net, and you're not that profitable and you're not getting that number, then either you might have to look at reducing expenses to get to there or figuring out how to charge more. Right, yeah. or, or change your products and services to, if that if that's going to be. I mean, it's no there's no right answer for all things, right? It, it's sort of it depends. But but that number, just that fact that you know that profit number and where you wanted it to be, sort of tells you what to do next if you allow it. Is that kind of how you think about it?
1: Yeah, for sure, especially for the a, a service type business or a business that has where there is the the room to charge more as you go through things, and there is there is that margin. I think it's a little bit different. When you're a startup, though, because and this could be a startup in an agency or a startup in in info products or SaaS or anything like that, I think that for a startup there's a certain amount of infrastructure that you need to have at the at some point, and so you're just you're deciding do you want to buy that infrastructure sooner or later. And the other thing that's hard is that you need like a minimum amount in order to turn a profit. So if you're if you're trying to have a ten million dollar company, you probably need to have $5 million worth of salaries in order to get to be a $10 million company. And it's like, do you want to do those things one by one, AKA bootstrap as the money comes in, yeah. will the money come in if you don't have those roles? Or do you want to just say I'm investing in, I'm, or I'm, I'm giving equity, or I'm investing in people in order to have that $10 million company. The companies that invest ahead of the curve are usually the ones that grow faster. They're also the ones that are the least profitable in the short term, and they have the biggest margins long term. That's why people love software as a service, because it's such a high margin business. It's all the money goes into creating it and a little bit of money into maintaining it. But then once people are on that model and they keep on renewing or they're on a subscription, they just keep on going on for a long time. So the margins are all later. Um, Agencies don't quite work that way because you need to keep on selling new projects. Very very few people are on indefinite retainer. The other thing that, that's hard to decouple for a business owner is just that we talk about profit, we talk about margins, we talk about expenses. In the agency world, expenses are, are people. <laughs> people are your number one expense. And so it's not like, you know, if you're like, hey, if I just pull these levers, I add it to my bottom line, I add a bunch of money to there. Well, it's actually pulling the lever means paying John less (laughs) and asking John to take a pay cut so you can get it to your bottom line. It's almost like an either or type thing, which is, which is often hard to navigate. It's like, it's not like you're just cutting costs. You're cutting people costs. And these are real people you've been working with. Do you want team continuity? If if you have a bad month, do you pull the trigger on getting rid of somebody who's been with you for three years or do you just power through it and say, okay, well, we're going to have to fix this thing, right? The ones who which say, which is why reserves are so important. Exactly. Yeah. Reserves, yeah reserves have the ebb and flow. So I'm just curious do you think of, you know, do you, when we think about profit, I think people are, especially in the agency world, are a big part of it. How much do you think is an acceptable way to, to invest in these things? Like, how much do you like to invest there versus protect the profit? And has that changed for you over time? Do, some years are you like, yeah, I want profit. Some years you're like, I want growth. Do, you, do yeah. you distinguish between those things? It's a, yeah, another good question. Because I've made mistakes where I
0: think I get caught up in growth for growth's sake. Um, because that's sort of what you hear about, right? When you're on watching CNBC, everyone's like, grow, grow, grow. Uh, but there's so many companies, so many companies, brand name companies that you and I have made more money than they have to date, right? Yeah. Uh, where they're going to go away. Like they just, they're zombie companies. They, they don't produce value. The marketplace isn't rewarding. I mean, one day that investor's going to get tired of funding them and cl- shut the whole thing down, right? It'll be sold for parts. I think a lot of organizations are, are like that. Um, when I got caught up in it, I got caught up in it, uh, you know, it was recently, it was like last year where we were go, go, go. We have to grow, go, grow, grow. And we hit, we hit um, a, a certain percentage of our revenue. We did grow. We grew substantially last year. And yet profit was damn near zero at mm-hmm. the end of the year, right? So it was like, okay, wait a second. This, what was the point of that? We had all this extra effort for less profit than we had the previous year we were more profitable the previous year at a substantially lower growth number. Right. So what happened was some of the big bets we had made did not pay off in the additional revenue they were supposed to bring in. Right. So it was, but it wasn't like, you know, we, you know, we didn't know that was happening at the time. We sort of realized, okay, this isn't going to work this year um, because we have this forecast. This says, okay. Here's how much we should be doing. Did we do this, right? Is, is it growing to the to the revenue amount that it needs to be fast enough? It's not, okay, we can, you know, do an about face or change throughout the year. Um, but it's because we had those forecasts. The one thing that I think we do a little different is we only do retainers. I don't work with projects. So mm-hmm. whenever we do ours, we do think about them, like in that first little, let's say the 90 day bit, they're not super profitable for us because we're putting so much effort into the foundational aspects of building that relationship with the client. But it's for that case that our client's going to be with us for ten years, right? So we just work up this long-term retention play, and obviously, pretty quickly after that, um, after that first ninety days, it becomes exponentially more profitable working with the client over over term, right? Because yeah. you're not having to do as much. You've got the relationship there. You just sort of keeping the plate spinning uh, versus something else. Like that stuff's been great. So that's worked really well for us. But so in the beginning, we might lose a few, you know, dollars net net. Paying team members for all the hours they're putting into it, if I was paying them per hour and penciling it out like that. But look at the year long project, substantially profitable. Yeah. You know? So, so we've used it for that, for that reason. It's worked pretty well. And we, like I said, we just put in the no projects rule because we can. This is our business model. We're not built for it. So we'll farm that work to other people who are, because um, there's lots of other people who will do projects, which I think is fine. Yeah. We started the same way, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's sort of how we manage it.
1: Yeah. I like that. I mean, so it's funny. We, I, I advise and to assert similar, but also a little bit different, but it's the same outcome. So this is a similar way to get the same out, or a different way to get the same outcome. And that is everything is front loaded. No doubt about it. If you want to keep a client, if you can keep them past the first 90 days and keep them happy and everything's smooth, they'll last for a lot yeah. longer than 90 days, right? They'll last for years potentially. If you just if you just only want to throw the chase and you don't spend any money on onboarding or you staff it like that first month fee then then it's like over right um but you the goal of a better business model is retainer consistency of revenue because with a retainer you can retain your team so they yeah. retain you as their service provider you retain your team and now you can say okay you get eight accounts to this person that's on your team each account gets paid this much, I'm getting the margin on it, and I've just paid for you. So it gives you a lot of that stability around paying people consistently, which is awesome. Which right? makes
0: it easier to predict profitability, exactly. right? because there is yeah. that consistency. You don't have the ups and downs of the project work, so it's a lot yeah, easier yeah. for us to be able to- Yeah, I mean,
1: the, a big part of predicting profitability and staffing is revenue projections, which you yeah. talked about. I mean, we all do. Like, you, A mature business does revenue projections, um, a, a really mature business is good at revenue projections. <laughs> a lot of us are pretty terrible at it or we think we're good at it, but but just things change so much, right? Like, yeah. that's all right. I'll admit it too. Um, but then there's the, you know, so that that's the investment on, on retainers and everything like that. But I, one thing I do a little bit differently and I advise, and it's worked well for my agency, is doing a project at the beginning that's more of a strategy project or the road mapping or something that's discreet that they can take it or leave it. But that gives you a chance to work with them. you charge maybe a little bit more than your retainer amount, but you separate that one because they, they a lot of people don't really want to do a year commitment with you or a long-term commitment. So saying, Hey, you're going to go on a, a retainer. It's only a monthly charge, but you have to commit to a year. Maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't work in the marketplace. But if it doesn't work, then another way to do it is we sell a strategy project. And then once that's being delivered, the answer to implement that strategy is your retainer. And so it's just a little bit different order of operations. That way you're more, you're actually profitable each step of the way and you can have capacity controls. But the the end game is definitely always to get somebody onto some kind of recurring revenue play. Otherwise, it's just, it's a tough business. It's really challenging and really deflating if, if, if you don't, I mean, you have to you have to earn to eat right you have to earn a new you have to sell new projects every single month so i like selling the project as a project and then turn it into a retainer as the as the continuity ongoing piece of it and that helps yeah, that, that helps actually make the profitability curve go the other one is you can take the monthly retainer but then just sp- then get them to do a longer commitment like i need a one year commitment if i'm going to do this otherwise i need to charge you for this work so just making it very clear to the client that that's what's happening yeah, that's a great idea. We have
0: some students that do that. They've had some success exactly with that pattern you're talking about. Like sell the audit first, right? Sell that pre-plan. Like, hey, here's the plan. And now if you want us to do it, it's this much, or you can do it on your own. Right. Yeah. Take it, take it or leave it. I've seen that be successful for sure. Um, the way that we do it, because I don't I, I just just we don't scale for the done for you as well. Um, because we're just not built for it, right? We yeah. don't we don't want to scale that as much. Uh, because we are so focused on training. So we, I'm sort of steering the company that way. But the way it will sell, because I don't want the audit projects, right? I don't want even that as a possibility. That's for our specific business model. But that is, remember, we have all this training revenue that comes in. It's a different business model, right? Like a hybrid model. Okay. If I was a pure done-for-you agency, I would not make that decision. Yeah. Um, and I would definitely go with the audit. It makes sense. Um, but when when we pitch it, we'll pitch it for the 90 days because I think that's an easier sell. To be like, hey, there's 90 days, here's what it's going to be. And then it's with the expectation that we're going month to month and ongoing for years. So we don't commit them to, you got to work with us for a year. Because I agree with you. I think that's a big, that's a huge ask um, for a couple you don't know of. But to be able to get, hey, I'll give you 90 days. And then assuming things are working out in 90 days, we'll just keep this going forever. That's worked out pretty well for me without even having contracts. Um, Because it makes, it just sort of makes sense to keep it going. With you, know, you got 90 days to prove something, you start delivering it. They go, Yes, I would like more of that. And then they just consistently rebuild be- as long as you're delivering more of what you said you'd deliver. You know, yeah. it makes sense, um, which is where a lot of the consultative, you know, talks go into and helping them think about things slightly differently, showing them a different way to to look at it. Same thing we're doing this podcast. Like, oh, that's a different way to look at our profitability. I hadn't thought about that. Like, there's yeah. at least one new thought I got from this podcast around that. Good, so, if we good. can deliver that same feeling for our clients, why wouldn't they want to? Keep you on board, right? Assuming that it's a decent, you know, comfortably affordable retainer that you know is is charged so much that you you are still profitable, and yet it's cheaper for them to hire you as maybe a company and all the value you bring versus replacing you out with an internal team member in house that yeah. wouldn't have near the qualifications that your company brings
1: um, yeah. to the table. So, well, and I think that a lot of that comes down to how you qualify your leads and who you decide yeah. to work with, right? So you you already you mentioned it, like it shouldn't be a big challenge for them to utilize your to, to utilize your services. If it is a stretch for them to utilize your service, not a great long-term client. <laughs> the other thing you said that, that I think, I mean, I, I like to look at clients in terms of 30 days, 90 days, one year. And that is project for the first 30 days, 90 days to get them to trust you. And then I do like to lock them in for an annual contract once we get to that point. And that's something that we would do. So, so after like the first... 3 to 6 months trial period, we would want to lock them into a long term one for sure. Okay, so I have one last thought and question. This is this is something we haven't addressed yet, but I think it's really important and that is around when is it non-negotiable to have profit in your business? So, I have some thoughts on this, but I want to hear your thoughts, but I was thinking around, you know, around selling your business for example, you know. So, so I would say that maybe for 2 years before you want to sell your business, that's when you need to start showing actual profit because that's what people want when they buy the business in the end. So I was just wondering what are some of your non-negotiable times or considerations for when you have to be profitable versus when you can make a choice to reinvest in growth?
0: I you know, I honestly I want the I want the company to stand on its own two feet. I, I very much look at it like a kid right? Like when you're first starting out, that that kid's a, the company's a baby. It can't do anything on its own. And it just cries all night and wants to be fed and, and changes diaper. And you're like, Oh, like, this is just all you do is it keeps you awake at night. And then it becomes a toddler where it can sort of find its own little Cheerios here and there, but you sort of got to make sure the Cheerios are there a little more high maintenance. Then it gets a, then it gets a little older and it starts feeding itself. And then eventually it can move into adulthood for me, how it does that is profit. So I want very quickly for it to be able to generate profit that it needs to be able to sustain itself. But I realized in the beginning, that's not going to happen, right? That would be a forecast I would have to say as an investor, I'm putting in either sweat equity or something to put in this value um, cause I, might, I may not have profit in the beginning and that's okay, but I'm going to plan for that to your, to the end of that. I think to your point, you absolutely have to be profitable when you're going to sell the company. Cause that's what the investors want to buy. That's literally what they're buying is your little money tree. It's why I like a business. I think it's the closest thing there is to that mythical money tree, but they're buying your money tree that you've pruned and you fertilized and you've done everything you can to make sustainable and, and spit out a certain amount of fruit. In other words, profit for that person who owns that tree, right? As long as they maintain it the same way that you've been doing it. Um, so that's sort of where the investors come in. I think it makes a ton of sense to do that. I think it's also hilarious where you get a lot of these, the SaaS style companies that just change the definition of profit and make up accounting terms for like, oh, we're profitable. If you look at, you know, if you don't count all of our expenses as actual yeah, you know, expenses, right. you know, and I <laughs> see them reworking. And like that at that point, like those are the dead companies. I would feel so bad as an investor. Um, but I digress. Um, but but that's how I look at it. I, I think I'm 100% with you. Like profit is so much more important when you're going to sell because it's the number and it's going to give you your valuation, especially when compared to the revenue and the type of profit, I think is also something that I would, how much of that is recurring that's, that's set up, that's pre build. that you, to your point under contract, right? Something that you've got, like, this is a little more stable revenue coming in because that profit is going to be more stable, which is going to give you a better annual return, you know, presumably on your multiples that you're getting for the company, right? So... It's that it's that twofold. It's it's where is it profit? Where is it useful? Of course, at the end, when I go to sell it. Um, but it's the type of profit that I care the most about. So it's going to give me my highest multiple for that. In the beginning, not so much as long as it's for a short period of time. But at the end of the day, the company has to stand on its own two feet. And if it's not profitable, it's not standing on its own two feet. And my job is to figure out why as its parent. Right to go. Why is it not walking on its own? It should be right now. Why is it not talking on its own? It should be right now. How do I get this company up off its feet without having to rely on, let's say, my sweat equity? Because I think a lot of freelancers are, are caught up in that, where they just put in so much time that if you pencil yourself per hour, you realize you are making thirty percent of minimum wage probably. Mm-hmm. But because we're freelancing, we kind of like, oh, I like the work. It's fine. And you don't think about it like that. But you should you should realize like wow i'm wildly unprofitable right now and then start charging more you're like this is just mathematically how it has to work and you then you learn how to improve your sales and then all of a sudden you do charge what you're worth and then all of a sudden you do have profit which now the company is spitting out something it can do something with that you can now invest in itself and hopefully grow it to produce more stable
1: profit that's sort of how we think about it yeah i love it i love the fruit tree analogy i was nodding my head a little bit on the kid analogy but now that i'm thinking about it Kids are not like a business at all because you, you actually never have a return on it. It's a paying forward type thing. Um, kids are never, not a business Come right? on,
0: those kids are going to pay for your retirement no. one day. You never Absolutely know.
1: Not, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe in some, some cultures, but definitely not in the cutthroat U.S. culture. Um, so, But the fruit tree is apt and it's perfect because you, fruit, trees don't always grow fruit in the first few years. You might not be profitable in your first few years. Then eventually you can choose: do you want to have an orchard? Do you want to have one really fruitful tree? Do you want to prune it so it's easier to pick, which is sort of reinvesting in operations and making it there, making it so it's, you know, it's it's about time to market a lot of times. And so yeah, you you basically can choose how you want to raise this orchard. Do you want or do you want a single tree? Do you want an orchard? What do you do with storage for throughout the year? I actually had a whole I wrote a, a newsletter on this. I call it the low-hanging fruit flies, because low-hanging fruit leads to fruit flies. And, and, you know, if you don't pick it at the exact right time, so the better thing to do is to become a farmer. Um, But anyway, I digress. So so that analogy hits home for me for sure. I've already written about it. And um, maybe I'll put that in the, in the notes to this, to this episode, but I think we think about it in a similar way. Um, It's interesting. Like one of the things that I don't always do in my own business, I don't always practice what I preach is, is holding it to a monthly profit versus more thinking about, am I going to where I want to go? So focusing less on, did I win this month? And more of like, am I winning the overall perspective? But I think that taking that approach to, did I win this month will lead to winning the year more and winning the year more will lead to getting the results you're looking for. So I think that being a little bit more um, more discerning on that area is probably a good idea. So that my final thought on this is that I, I think I've learned something on this one as well. And definitely just hearing how you think about it makes my my experience and my, my perspective even more balanced. So I think this is a good, healthy conversation. Do you have any final thoughts, Mercer, on, on this topic? No, I think other, other than the way we covered is it,
0: just, you know, for those of you listening, just start figuring out what your profit percentage is. I think that's a really important thing from a net net perspective. Also figure it out on the front end of when you're offering that product. What is that individual product to Jeff's point around cost of goods sold? And where's that percentage? And, you know, are those two things tying, are they, are they working out where you're getting the percentages that you need? And if not, it sort of does direct you to where you need to raise rates or maybe invest in your team or, or something else to take
1: advantage of that. And that's, yeah, that'd be my final thoughts. Excellent. Well, thanks, Mercer. And thanks everybody for listening to another episode of the Business Unfiltered podcast. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Business Unfiltered with your hosts, Mercer and
0: Jeff Sauer. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and tell a friend what you've learned today. Want to connect? Visit us at businessunfiltered.fm. This has been Business Unfiltered, always unapologetically honest.